Hey friends, Catlaw Hagquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net. Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. Like many children of the 1970s and 1980s, I grew up in the confusing space between absolute freedom and total fear. The freedom to ride your bike until long past sunset, eat bowls of sugar for breakfast, and drink from an old rusty garden hose. The total fear that, at any moment, a gang of devil worshippers were going to abduct you and force you into their sadistic satanic rituals. Violent rituals that often involved killing babies and sexual torture and so many other indescribable things that were described in vivid detail on Donahue and Donahue, 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 and Sally Jesse and all of the other afternoon talk shows that raised you. The satanic panic, as it came to be known, was a moral panic that ensnared millions in the 1980s and 1990s. And patient zero for the satanic panic could be found right here in beautiful British Columbia, as was Dr. Zero. Patient Zero was a Vancouver Island woman named Michelle, and Dr. Zero was her psychiatrist, Dr. Lawrence Pazder. Pazder. Pazder? Oh, fuck, we just talked about this. Dr. Lawrence Pazder. You're both just smiling. You're not going to help me at all. Okay, fine. <laughs> Dr. Larry. Dr. Larry. Who collaborated together on a bestseller entitled Michelle Remembers. Michelle Remembers documented their unorthodox sessions in which Dr. Larry used recovery memory therapy to bring forth memories of satanic ritual abuse that Michelle had allegedly suppressed for decades. Michelle Remembers was a game changer because once Michelle remembered and doctor and patient wrote the book and started doing the talk show circuit, other psychiatrists wanted to ride the satanic panic train to fame and fortune too. Did I mention that Michelle and Dr. Larry went to the Vatican and met the Pope? Because Michelle and Dr. Larry went to the Vatican and met the Pope. You don't get a bigger stamp of approval than the big guy in the tall hat. Soon, more than 12,000 cases of satanic ritual abuse were being reported ad nauseum in all manner of media, most of which had been quote-unquote recovered via recovery memory therapy. All jokes aside, lives were ruined. Families were fractured. People went to jail. It was totally acceptable for your average Sabrina in the street to be absolutely terrified. 
but not a single of the 12,000 cases was ever substantiated. Recovery memory therapy is now completely discredited. Those people who went to jail were mostly vindicated and released. And Dr. Larry and Michelle? Well, the story behind the book is even wilder. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Steve J. Adams and Sean Horler, the filmmakers behind the jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping, <laughs> eye-popping, and wildly entertaining feature-length documentary, Satan Wants You. Satan Wants You lays out the story of our homegrown doctor and patient, the global moral panic they created, and the ways in which this story is playing out once again. The documentary will soon screen at the 2023 Doxa Documentary Film Festival. My favorite festival, don't tell all the other festivals, but it's my absolute favorite. And I am delighted to have both of these gents in the studio to talk. Michelle, Dr. Larry, fear the 1980s, and Satan himself. Steve J. Adams, Sean Horler, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thanks for having us. You've let us out of our cave. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> okay, I want to start with what your experience of the satanic panic was actually like. You know, take me back to that time. Do you have vivid memories of watching Donahue and being afraid? I sure do. I mean, I <laughs> grew up in Victoria where this no. all took place. So I, too, was a child of the 80s, and my family moved to the city right after the book was published. So did, this Did you move because of the book, and your family was trying to escape the... It's like my parents. I knew there was something weird about this. <laughs> Are they sadness? <laughs> curious, so as, as a kid growing up, and it's very... It's, I mean, it... The film sh shows beautifully. It wasn't just talk shows. It was reported on the news. I mean, this would have the stamp of approval of some of our nation's foremost, you know, n serious news broadcasters. I, I can imagine that g being in Victoria, it might have felt even more real, more of a pressing danger. Like, what kind of conversations were you having about this? Well, uh, Michelle and Larry, they lived just 10 minutes down the road from my family in a big house uh, overlooking the ocean. So when you say, what was it like? I mean, they were everywhere. Okay, there. you just went to one of the big spoilers of your <laughs> of the film. I mean, it's history, so. Yeah, people yeah. will Google. They will know. We won't spoil, you know. Yeah, yeah. Patient yeah. Zero and Doctor Zero became something more as time went on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this is mostly, depending on your familiarity with Michelle Remembers, mostly public knowledge so it's not for us in victoria i mean it's like something you knew all along i mean and, it was in the gossip columns right yeah, yeah, yeah. like they're on the radio they're on the news in the newspapers they're on tv for like 10 years right it was everywhere 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 did you think it was real uh it's you know in victoria being the ground zero so like every halloween people would vandalize the cemeteries apparently all these stores in downtown victoria had altars in the back room where people were sacrificed and babies were stolen like this was this was real anyone in black watch out for the people in black clothes oh gosh Right. Oh yeah, no. I always and like I maybe people thought my mom was a Satanist because she only ever wore black clothes before it was even fashionable because it made doing laundry easier. And I definitely have subscribed to that as a as an adult. She was a practical Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what about for you, Steve? What's what is your background with the Satanic Panic? 
I grew up in the north, uh, so I really didn't have any exposure to it. There was I, my mom. I was telling her about the the movie, and she was like, "Yeah, I, I kind of remember it, but just because we were so closed off, we didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to it." So, like, I really, I you know, like through pop culture, I had references to it, um, but it wasn't until like 2018 when we kind of came across the, the book and the story. Uh, that's when I was like, oh wow, this really happened and it happened on a much bigger scale than I could have ever imagined. Tell me that I want the origin story then for this. <laughs> the book just kind of appeared and it had like, I was gonna say angel music, maybe devil flames and stuff around it. <laughs> Smoke pouring out of the pages. It wasn't quite like that. <laughs> we, were, we were working on a different project uh, for Knowledge Network, actually, books and authors. Uh, and part of our research was we got 100 books uh, from BC and we were going through it. And like halfway through the list was Michelle Remembers and Sean saw this and he was like, oh God, this book. Which also, interestingly enough, Knowledge Network passed on this, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Which does make sense. Big mistake. <laughs> Huge mistake. <laughs> I love, though, that it's in this pile of, like, you know, some of our... I mean, because it is. Maybe as far as BC books go, it's probably one of the biggest selling BC books of all time. I would say, and also think across Canada, for books that change the world, I mean, that is a pretty big bill to mm -hmm. fill right like yeah. this book literally changed the world in the 80s and 90s and we're still paying for it today oh yeah okay so what was your what was a starting point then i miss it or did you have a book club it was like the two of you were like we're gonna read the book no, we were like, <laughs> let's try to find the book and the book's out of print. So oh, you yeah. have to like eBay and you have to like figure it out. And they're really expensive. It's like a hundred bucks to get this book. And then you open the book and you begin to read it. And you're like, wow, this book is terribly written. How is this a bestseller? <laughs> Literally. I mean, you'll see in clips in the film, uh, like the Valerie Pringle, who is one of our cherished, yeah. you know, like news broadcaster personalities in Canada on the middle of like, the midday news in Canada talking about people eating feces and murdering babies. Like it is like- And asking serious questions. Like serious questions, did this happen? Like it is bizarre to look back at this. Yeah, and it's so validating too, to the entire story, right? To be there. And you know, so I'm wondering also now I'm looking back and it's like, did nobody think to like, I don't know, like call the police or, you know, like be like, what proof do you have? Or, you know, you're saying that these babies are being I don't know I'm whispering or talking like a weird way. <laughs> I want Satan to hear me or Michelle. But, you know, they're saying, like, that, you know, all these kids are being abducted and these babies are being murdered, and yet there's no, like, nothing in the real world proof-wise to back no it evidence. all up. And they have these wild tales of, like, how the babies are disappearing and they're eating the babies and they're cremating the babies and they're turning them into baby wax. Like, there's all sorts of, like, crazy, like, myths that they were making. But the lack of evidence is evidence, yeah. right? Yeah. As yeah. with all good conspiracy theories, that is proof in itself. Yeah. But then they were do. I mean, we're jumping all over the place here. <laughs> I guess I'm assuming a lot of people will have some knowledge of the satanic panic and stuff. And what happened, because what Michelle uh, Michelle, the pastors in the end. Yeah, we're just going to say that. They, they hook up. They hook up. They get married. It's a whole thing. It's in the movie. Just watch the movie. Um, but, you know, they basically, they might have been, you know, had the big bestseller, but they were far from the only, you know, doctor and patient going on the TV to talk about, you know, um, all of these repressed memories, you know, going, can, can you tell a little bit about what they unleashed and what, what they did and, you know, what happened? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, basically, this book came out, and when, you know, when you're introducing and saying she's the patient patient zero, it's not necessarily that there weren't other cases before this, but she was the case that everyone knew, and then after that, that book was taken by law enforcement, by mental health professionals, by social workers, and they would go through and develop checklists saying this is how you you look for this in your patients or in a case that you're investigating, and it's all of that. The book itself was another piece of evidence to say this is happening, this is true, this exists. And but then, like Larry would go and Michelle would go to like psychiatry conferences and like speak about this stuff. So it was just like further giving it credibility, and people were were watching it and they're like, "This is real, this is happening." But then, like when you when like the law enforcement people in the film talk, they're like, "There's like there's no evidence." There's nothing to do it, but it's just like well, some of the law. That's true because there's there's the cop, <laughs> pastor cop, yeah. <laughs> cops for Christ. <laughs> I kind of think that like when you when you look back at the eighties, there was this reckoning happening, and, and people were trying to develop language and, and figure out how to like talk about like like literally like pedophilia and like what was happening and abuse of children, and this was like one of the ways that it happened and this was like how it just kind of developed and so like after mcmartin happened they they really looked at like how they were talking to children and how they were actually like leading them and like just like the different techniques that they were using and they did change like things really advanced from that but it had to go through this terrible period of time where people were convicted of doing stuff that 100 percent did not happen yeah um so i think it was just like a really weird time um and people were, were really trying to figure it out and then also i mean psychiatry and psychology and the whole you know science of memory this was pioneering like in the 70s and 80s this was a field of study that was breaking new ground mm. so how how do your memories work and are they malleable are they fixed is it like a video camera is it like a wikipedia page there you know there's a expert in the film dr elizabeth loftus she is one of the pioneering memory researchers in the world and having her participate in the film was eye-opening for us to know like can you trust your memories at all. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if this is happening right now. <laughs> Some of the most remarkable uh, moments in the film are um, we are we actually get to hear some of the of the tapes from these from these sessions that, you know, Michelle and the doctor did together. How, how did you get your hands on those? How much did you listen to? What did you what what do you, what are your takeaways from from those tapes? Yeah, um, I mean they had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of recorded uh, audio, and we had one tape, so we like didn't have like the whole like breadth of what it was. Um, I think maybe you could also be thankful that you didn't have hundreds <laughs> right? and hundreds of hours. That, that would have made the edit a little yeah. tricky, probably. <laughs> One of the really cool things was we, you could actually like hear, you could see like in the book, like word for word, you could hear on the tape, so you could actually like compare the two um, and, and see what was actually like it was bringing like the, the whole thing to real life. Um, but we, it was a, an interesting kind of find to to get those tapes because we we wanted it. We knew that they existed. We knew that somebody must have had one. Um, so we had gone through people in the book and the acknowledgement sections and just tried to find. We sent emails. We sent letters. We we just tried to contact everybody. And then one magically showed up, and it was from an anonymous source. 
and it was one of the craziest days during the edit but oh, oh yeah like alluded there's teams of investigators who have looked into this story while the satanic panic was happening to to actually prove you know did this happen to michelle or not is this made up is it fact or is there a blend between fact and fiction and no one has heard these tapes outside of the transcribers and the family michelle and larry right like this is a fine for this documentary and you guys and now everybody who sees the documentary yeah, yeah. What, so i think for, like one of the things as an audi as an audience member watching the documentary and hearing those tapes it really felt like michelle at least really believed you know, it wasn't like it was all invented for the book. Like there was a process here where they have these sessions and they recorded them and then they passed them on to, to be transcribed, right? So like, did, like, you know, Sean, tell me some of your, when you're listening to that, to that tape, you know, what about, what, what did you learn about Michelle and Dr. Larry and how they see the world, you know, through that tape? Well, it's, I mean, the tapes themselves are, are really uncomfortable. Listen, it is somebody in a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and screaming. And it is, you know, it's, it's you can think about the satanic panic and there's parts of this that are, are absurd and funny. The tapes themselves were hard. Though also I would say, and I, I'm not going to spoil anything for the movie. Are you already spoiled? No, I'm just going to say. There's lots of spoilers. I'm just going to say, if you watch the film at DOXA, I hope you come to DOXA if you listen to this later on and it's in wide release, make sure you watch the ending because the tapes, the, how, at least the tape that we got has a progression that will really, really surprise you. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that and I won't say that, but I'm like, wow, the tape that you ended up had that on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That is cliffhanger. That is, yeah. Whoa. Dun dun dun. <laughs> what, what are some misconceptions about the Satanic Panic that you would like to dispel? I think you know, there's a an investigative journalist that we spoke for uh, for the film. Her name is Debbie Nathan. She wrote a book called Satan Silence, where she really looked at the daycare trials in the U.S. and mm. why all these children had basically identical. Uh, memories of all of you know ritual abuse by satanists and babies being killed and then being abused and she says you know for her us talking to her and even before this came on camera we were sitting in her kitchen going through all our archive and um our producer melissa and i were doing this while steve was setting up shot and we were laughing at some of the material and she just you know put her hands on the table and she's like this is not a joke. Like people, your gen your generation thinks this is all just a joke. People laughing about Satan and death metal music, and it's all funny, funny. And she's like, real people were hurt by this, yeah. right? Like lives were ruined, families were ruined, and these rumors they don't go away. These conspiracies we're experiencing them today with PizzaGate, QAnon. You just saw it at the Grammys. It's over and over and over and over and over again. And when yeah. you're accused of it, it never leaves you. You're like tarred and feathered. Like it, it, it sticks with you. And like we, we, we spoke to some people, and like their their lives are ruined. And mm. it's just like it, it's like super sad. And that was from all before social media and the internet, right? You know, when when we were really relying on the afternoon talk shows and the newscasts and mm -hmm. newspapers. You know, there wasn't. A, it was. It took a lot longer for things to to spread. So when something did spread, it spread. Yeah. Can, can we talk about the Canadianness of it all? Like I, I kind of think it's kind of wild that the that Michelle remembers started in 
in Vi- Victoria of all places. <laughs> do, do you think this actually helped the moral panic? You know, sitting here with the benefit of it being history, do you think this actually helped the satanic panic, that moral panic spread further and faster? The fact that it was, you know, from Canada where we wouldn't make this kind of stuff up. We're very serious up here. Hmm. I, I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. I think part of it's actually to do uh, with Victoria, which, by the way, everybody, is one of two satanic capitals of the world, according to Michelle Remembers. So Victoria is where all the Satanists are, and so is Geneva, Switzerland, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but also... They should put that on the like the welcome sign for Victoria. <laughs> it could really attract some people there. We can lobby for it. Yeah. I think the, the Michelle and Larry themselves, though, even, yes, they are Canadian, and they are polite, and you know they have that presence but they they are you see them and they're so conservative looking and they're like larry in his tweed suit michelle and her laura ashley uh dresses yeah. of which she had many 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 and it's like you i don't know they're not who you'd expect to have satanic ritual abuse yeah, it, conspiracies. It, it adds to their credibility well they're yeah. good salespeople too right um yeah. like i think their source material like she was really into like the, the exorcist and rosemary's baby that was like you can see the influences through the book so mm. they they really hit at the right time and then they went out and they, they sold their asses off and they, they wanted to make money they made money and they sold like one hell of a tale yeah now there is no michelle there's a lot of michelle in your film but we don't hear from contemporary 2022, 2023, Michelle. Uh, And it's kind of hard to find anything of her since the heyday of the satanic panic. Do we know what she's up to? And, you know, did did she say, I'm assuming you approached her to be involved in the film. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, we tried. Uh, Yeah, and, and are you able to say what she said or her people said? She was just very clear that she didn't want to participate in the film. Um, we didn't really hear much more beyond that. We know that she still lives on the island. Um, but we, we reached out to her twice. Yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, there's some stuff, you know, in a 90-minute film that we can't include. But, I mean, her and Larry started a charity in Victoria uh, for um, unhoused people. So they called Anwin House, and we found media interviews with Michelle in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. so there, there is like a footprint if you dig deep enough. But yeah. yeah, I think she has really lived a quiet life away from this. And for us, I mean, we really wanted to reach out to her and give her the opportunity to tell her side of the story. And it would have been, you know, maybe there'll be a future film or project that she decides to do that. But uh, like, we. What, what are you dying to know from Michelle? What happened? I mean, from all our research, we could not find, and of course we spoke to friends and family, and as far as we know, she's never ever recanted or said that, you know, this is not true. It's sort of this big question of what does she, what happened to her in her own words? Does she still believe it? Does she not? Is, you know, there's a million questions, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I mean, you and you do, you inc- include some, I won't give the spoiler, but you do have a very close familiar relation, you know, in the film who has a different experience, you know, than Michelle remembered, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the book. Well, give me talk about, I love talking about challenges. I have to say with a smile. <laughs> Tell me about the hell of making them. What challenges, you know, did you, did you encounter and overcome, you know, making this film? Or not overcome. Yeah. (laughs) Still unpacking it. Yeah. I think one of the the biggest challenges that we had, we were shooting and editing at the same time. Um, We had a 
pretty short like production window and editing window so they were both overlapping so as we were like um shooting we we thought we had all the interviews and then we got like a really important interview that happened like when we were like four months into the edit so we had to like bring that in we got the tape near the end of the edit so like really there was there was a lot of stress that we were like managing um trying to to make the film happen that was definitely like a big challenge for me uh we also named you know when you make these films <laughs> this is a, a good one film you will create a, cor- a company or a corporation just for that film <laughs> and we named our uh corporation 666 films and I just have to say, which we thought, okay, in the spirit of No, we of were like, things, oh, this is so good. This right? is so funny. And then in, in hindsight, when you're reaching out to people, and let's say you're reaching out to churches in the Catholic <laughs> Church, it's just give some thought to this ahead, folks. <laughs> it should have been called like Happy Sky Productions or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to build a time machine just for just for you to be able to do to do that. What was your most memorable day that you experienced in the course of making this mm. film? I have a couple. I mean, well, one. I, I know I mentioned Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. I mean, I you love her. I her book, if I can recommend a book to people, <laughs> if you are curious about memory and how memory can get distorted and affected by a, like a huge list of things, just even a simple question from somebody or looking at a photograph, her book is amazing. When I met her, I was actually a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh, wow, she's a super genius. And <laughs> now I'm going to have to talk to her about memory. And yeah, like that for me is like, when, you know, when you meet your heroes and they they say never meet your heroes. But when you do meet your heroes and they are like a thousand times more amazing than wow, you anticipated. Okay, we're going to we're going to pop her book in the uh, footnotes. Yeah, for this it's episode. a good book. It's a good read. Yeah. She's worked on some crazy cases. Um, I was also going to say that the Recrees, when we, we found a, a really great location, um, and watching the, the set come together, uh, our production designer, Juan, was looking at, uh, he was like studying the photos that were in the book and like they were like crocheting like the pillows. Um, they really went like as far as they could to like kind of create this like room that they thought really embodied. Oh man, it was so atmospheric and like yeah. gross. <laughs> I thought they were fantastic. There was a part of me that's like, did they get video of these sessions? <laughs> he did record. He yeah. he had, there is video probably somewhere out there because he, he recorded everything. Yeah, well, if, hey, if you have an anonymous uh, tape, you can send anonymously a videotape of that. You send it to 666films. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's so funny. We've spoken about a couple of your films uh, in in the past, and you know, uh, they're all so vastly different. And yet, there is a thread that kind of runs through them, you know, as well. And even the way that you talk about them, there's laughter, but it's also serious. But there's laughter, but it's also serious. What does this particular film, Satan wants you, Satan wants you, to tell us about the kind of films that you're going to make moving forward i mean this is us mm-hmm. when, when i think of like the the style of film that that we make this is like truly where we like to go um it has this genre element to it um it, it kind of like rides that line between doc and narrative there's like a, a oh yeah there's like a true crime thing yeah yeah, yeah 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 there's a weird blend um there's lots of memory there's lots of uh just like pop culture that's kind of entwined within it i, I feel like the, the day dawn died which was our short from 2019 it was kind of like a prototype for what we've done with saint wants you i feel like the two parried together really well um but i, I do think that saint wants you is like the, the type of movies that we make. I think to just someone like me, our first feature film yeah. sort of has similar DNA. For Steve and I, it's like, you know, you make documentaries and it's, 
tempting to do keep everything really serious, especially when it is about serious issues and Satan wants you is about a serious issue and, and some of our someone like me is too. However, if you're gonna have something, you know, if there is tragedy, you need comedy for us. Like it needs to have those sort of uh, two notes because like a one note film is a lot to sit through. Yeah, watching your films are kind of like a real ride. You know, as an audience <laughs> member, it's like crack my knuckles and you're like, okay, <laughs> they're gonna put me through some things. <laughs> so nothing like the Satanic Panic will ever happen again because we've all learned lessons from history, right? It's happening right, right? now. <laughs> it's happening right now. So okay, look. Let's talk a little bit more. You know, so your your film recently had its big world premiere at just a tiny little independent festival called South by Southwest. Mm. I don't know if I'm talking like that again. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was a big ass deal. Like, and I was so excited for you guys too to have that international global media coverage and sold out screenings and everything. You know, so I'm really curious about your, your film screens sold out people like sitting on the stairs to, to watch the in the aisles to watch the film. What were some of the things that you heard from them specifically about the parallels that they see between what's on screen, you know, and what is happening in America? Texas itself, too. So aside from what's happening in the present, I mean, they had three really big daycare cases in Texas when the satanic panic was happening and that actually came out in the audience Q&A's where people were asking you know you can see flash of it, flashes of it in our film but they're saying well what about this and did you think about this and that was really because these are people who lived through that wow. in a way that we didn't you know you can say that we lived through this with Michelle and Larry in BC it's not the same as the US where these cases like dragged on for like 10 years and mm -hmm. it was people in prison for a long time and that was intense mm -hmm. but then I, I mean not the other side too from our experience looking out at the audience and seeing you know gen z people who have no idea what this film's about mm. people like us who grew up in the 80s and this was sort of part of our childhood to the people who actually lived through it as adults and seeing for us as filmmakers seeing all those generations coming out to see something you've made and knowing that this is a film that's going to reach a big big audience across generations was amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a dream, it's your dream, right? Yeah, and, and do you want them to take something from the film and to apply it to life right now? Yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we can go through, <laughs> we went through what we went through in the 80s and we can apply it. So what is, what is, what is the tool I, that we can take from Satan Wants You? You know, and and that we can we can use to look at the world in a different way. I know I'm putting a lot on your film right now, yeah. but you know what? That's not what we do as creators, right? Totally. We want to we want to yeah. impact change. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a moment in our film. There's a Wiccan police detective uh, named Charles Ennis from Vancouver. He worked for the VPD, Vancouver Police Department. Cool guy. <laughs> yeah, he's he is quite the interesting look him up online he's fascinating, fascinating. i did actually yeah. <laughs> second screen for my second viewing i was like okay yeah okay look at this person, look at this person. Yeah. a different film um his there's a part in the film where he really you know he really stands up and he was one of the, the people originally investigating this and speaking out and saying this is misinformation it's false he really does say you know like we all have a collective responsibility to stand up when people are saying false things and, and, and misinformation and say this is wrong and you have to keep saying it over and over and over again until it changes yeah. like it's not just saying it once you have to keep saying it keep saying it keep saying it 
but then from the cynic's point of view like through the research like we saw it happen throughout history and it seems to have this weird like 30 to 40 year kind of timeline and it just happens over and over and over again and humans are like a storytelling <sighs> species we rely on storytelling to explain the world around us and this shit just always comes up again it's yeah. it's kind of crazy it's kind of crazy, but it's cool that there are, there are people like you guys who are there to kind of hold up the mirror and or, or take notes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then tell that story. Um, okay, so what? So this film is gonna. So and I, I meant what I said, and I've said it before. Docs a documentary film festival is my favorite. I don't know why I'm doing it again. It is my favorite <laughs> film festival. I say that with pride. It's so wonderful. Like I when with all the shit going on in the world, I go to Doxa and I I I need it to like make sense of the world for me. I mm. love looking at the film at the at the world, you know, through the lens of those films. And one of the things I absolutely love about Doxa are being in the lobby, you know, of whatever whatever theater after and list ha, debating with people or listening to I'm such an eavesdropper. I love to hear other people's conversations. What kind of conversations would you like to to uh, either eavesdrop on or inspire in others with with your film? Well, first, this is going to be the first time we have like a Vancouver audience for one of our films. Uh, someone like me was pandemic film, so we didn't have an audience. Uh, I mean, the day Don died, we were part of like five other films. So this is like the first time like proper we have an audience for wow. the film. So th we're really excited for it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there's going to be people attach themselves to so many there the, the the movie's full there's a lot of we cover a lot um and people really like they hone in on different things and they, they think of like the psychology aspect or they think of some like the satanic temple or whatever right like there, there's just like there's so much conversation that's generated the questions the q a's in south by were like crazy there was just like questions like there was stuff that we couldn't even answer and we're like we don't like we literally don't know there's so much in it um so yeah no i think it's gonna be a, a fun time to hear what people have to say i think i would say though too this film we you know it was really important for us to actually present this and knowing that it is really like these two lives michelle and larry these two lives colliding in a way that changed the world and that you can never you know like who when you meet somebody do you ever think that's going to happen? Hmm. And sort of what we have taken away from the other screenings is that it's like, because we've tried to present it and leave the audience with the final question in the end, it is quite divisive. Hmm. So people are one side or the other, and some people are really, really upset, right? At the yeah. end of the film. So it'd be interesting to hear, you know, if I'm eavesdropping in the lobby, <laughs> <laughs> this is the stuff I'm looking for. <laughs> You're with your recorder up. Um, do you did you have empathy uh, at all or affection at all for Michelle and Larry in the process of reading reading the book, telling the story? You know, and is it important as filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, to to have that empathy uh, and and care for them? And I say this because you could argue that Michelle and Dr. Larry are not necessarily sympathetic characters. Um, as sympathetic as, you know, Don from the day Don died, you know, or, or the people that you tell the story of in, in, in your last feature. Mm -hmm. I think you need to to go through that. I, I think when you think of like empathy and you think of uh, Larry's daughter, Teresa, and how much she, she loved him as a father yeah. and she was always trying to find that that sparkle that existed when she was young with him. You, you think of like this was somebody's live um that really existed and 
I don't know. It, it, it's a it's a tricky thing because you, you look at the damage that they did and you, you look at how they, they rolled through the world and they were like almost only thinking of themselves. But then you also think about that. They do have a family and they, they do have these people around them that love mm. them. Um, it, it is tricky to, to kind of go through and, and tell a story like that. And there is, I mean, this really human uh, human thing that people want to do and who's the villain and who's the victim. Right, and that's a question that the audience needs to answer. Because it was them, but then there was the church, there was the publisher, Mm -hmm. there was all these other people who were had like a a, the apparatus, right, Mm -hmm. with all their own agendas. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it's such a great film. (laughs) Thank you both for being here. So I think the last time I'd seen you, I was like, "What do you want to work on next?" And I think you told me that you had this idea for it was like Gay Golden Girls or something. Oh yeah, is that still something? I'm waiting. I've been waiting for that one, guys. <laughs> I gotta disappear into the ether. Uh, we need to bring it back. Please yeah, bring it should. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now that we know, yeah. the fire has been lit because this Florida is calling. Florida or Palm Springs, I'm telling you. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so if people want to follow the journey of this film, where can they go? What can they do? I, I will have links for Doxa Documentary Film Festival and all of that in the footnotes, but where else? Where else? Yeah, check out our website, saintwantsyoufilm.com. Uh, there's links to our Instagram on there as well, uh, but definitely that's where you're going to get. And Steve and I are really active on Twitter so and Instagram, so if you want to You guys are, you're active. really great. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so, sorry, Steve. What's your what's your Twitter handle? Um, I'm Steve Adams. Wait, are you sure? Okay, no. I, I think so. I think that's it. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> what about you, Sean? Uh, it's just my name, Sean Horler, just on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic, and uh, yeah, I'm Sabrina. I don't know why. <laughs> We're all sharing our handles. I'm all of Sabrina that too. too. Thank you. All right, Satan Wants You screens at the 2023 Doxa Documentary Film Festival. And you can visit doxafestival.ca for tickets, screening times, and info about how to access their online screenings, because they got some of those too. All right, listeners, thank you for joining us today. Like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. We can keep having conversations like this rad one we had today. Find us at YVRScreenScene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at at YVRScreenScene and on Twitter and Mastodon. Yeah, I'm on Mastodon at Sabrina Armf. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Arani Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Devlet for the original music. Music, But you know what, Dane? You are a Firminger to us. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And... Cut! Hi friends, Cat Law Hedquist here, and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume in getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.